Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. This is the debut of the 2018-19 season. We're going to start it off with the defending Western Conference champion Vegas Golden Knights and look back and review the Pacific Division today. Chris Lisa, as always, uh, best co-host in the business. Chris, good day to you, sir. Try that again. We're still in we're still in preseason form. Chris, good day to you, sir. Good day to you. Can you hear me? There he is. Yep, got you covered, buddy. Okay. How you doing? I'm doing good. So we're going to preview the Knights for the first half hour and uh, get down and dirty with them. What to expect this upcoming season? Then we got Chris Stores from Teal Town coming on board uh, to break down the whole Pacific Division, get his thoughts. So I'm looking forward to that. Before we kick off Talking Hockey, want to send out a special shout-out to a good friend of the show, a great guy, J.D. Styles, uh, battling some, uh, some health situation. He's going to get through it okay. We look forward to having him on in the, the, the program uh, or on the podcast uh, you know, later on in the that first half of this possible. year. With it. Yeah. yeah, we're thinking of you, buddy, and uh, this, show's, uh, this show's for you. So, uh so, yeah, I guess my question to you, sir, is uh, we'll kick it off. You know, is it? do you see it as a problem in terms of – well, not a problem, but, uh, you know, obviously no one could expect it year one for Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights getting to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, patience, obviously high. Uh, is that a little bit of a worry or not? No, I think expectations can be a good thing. Um, yep. I, I We had a quote from William Carlson not too long ago, and he said, well, people said we were going to stink, and then we didn't. And then people said it wasn't going to last, and then it did. And then people said that, that uh, the playoffs were a different breed, and we were going to get smoked, and we went to the Stanley Cup final. So that's that's William Carlson's mindset. And there's there's – there is issues with the team, um, but I don't think expectations um, are, are something that's a problem. I think expectations are a good thing. I think um, you build on your successes and you learn from your failures. And there was a lot to learn from in the Stanley Cup final, and there was a lot to build on in the, of the successes in the regular season as well as the successes that they had in the playoffs. Um, so, so while there are some question marks around this team, I don't think that the ex- expectations uh, are are one of those problems. I think it's a good thing. I do too. And also, if it, if they were in the central or even let's say the metro, if you wanted to make that argument, uh, but as we'll break down later in the show, both with Chris Stores and ourselves. There are a lot of questions about just about everyone in this division outside of the the Knights and the Sharks, in my opinion. So it's, you know, again, never say never because who would have predicted the season that they had? And uh, the hockey news last year going into the season predicted the Edmonton Oilers to get to the Stanley Cup Finals, and they weren't even close to contending for a playoff spot. So, uh, but I agree with you on that in terms of, the division. So we got Stasny, Peter Stasny in. You know, I'm going to count to Tar and Reeves as kind of new additions as they came over at the trade deadline, both getting, you know, uh, playing some games in the playoffs. But 
in terms of full-time, you know, 82-game 80, contributors. Uh, Nick Holden, a good depth defenseman to brought on. Uh, James Neal and David Perron both gone, along with Lucas Pisa, who had a very injury-plagued year. So, you know, basically, Stasny and Tatar and Reeves replaced Neal and Perron, and Holden replaces Pisa. Um, different look, but still, you know, different kind of players. But, uh, you know, uh, they they lost some quality, but they replaced them with quality. Yeah, um Braun and Neal leaving uh, take 101 points with them and two-thirds of your second line. Um, the only the only piece that should remain the same would be Eric Halla, uh the sooner on that line, but then you bring in Stasny, um, and with that contract, you expect him to be that second-line center. Um, he brings in – he finished 10th in the league in face-off percentage last year which was one of the problems that Washington was able to exploit out of the Golden Knights in the, the Stanley Cup final. And, uh, you know, honestly, a, a, a spot they struggle in uh, for, for most of the season. So th- they identified a problem, and I, I thought signing Stastny was the, the – well, I don't want to go into a touchy subject with you, sir, but aside from the Islanders losing Tavares – um, I don't, uh, we'll get to that in another episode, but, uh, aside from the Islanders losing Tavares or Toronto picking up Tavares, however you want to look at it, I think that, uh, Vegas bringing in Stastny was probably the, the steal of free agency. We talked about that in our free agency wrap up show. I don't feel any different now. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, he brings 53 points in. So you take, uh, that 101 points off of that second line with Perron and Neil and you pop 53 points back on. Um, and then as you mentioned, Tatar, he never, I, I give him a pass on last season. He was scratched a lot. He was bounced up and down the lineup, filling in for injuries. Um, he might be the type of play, you know, every year he's been in the league, he scored 20, 25 goals. So, and, yep. and 40, 40, 50 points. So, and, and you didn't get near that once you, once you pick him up at the trade deadline. So let, let's say you, you come up with a plus 40 out of Tatar then you're at 93 points out of that 101 replaced from Perron and Neal. What that doesn't replace, and I think the biggest problem, or not problem, but concern with either Perron or Neal leaving, uh, Perron's a puck hound. I, I, I got a lot of respect uh, watching Perron play game in and game out. If he gets the puck on a stick and, and he's in the offensive zone and he's on the wall, you can't take the puck from him. I, I Many, many times um, – they were getting towards the end of their shift and Perron would just literally start skating circles around the other team's forwards while uh, Neil and Halla would go off and change. And then the ne- the next line would come out and Perron would still be possessing the puck, get it over to one of the new forwards and, and complete a full line change while they're still in the offensive zone. That's, that's, you don't see that. Um, it, it's a league where you come down to the blue line, you're going to change, you throw it down in, you dump it, change your line mates. And, and the ability of that second line to maintain possession during line changes, and it didn't happen once or twice. It happened frequently, uh, consistently throughout the season. Um, that, that's a big part of the Vegas Golden Knights' uh, in, entire philosophy is when they get the puck and they're in the offensive zone, that keeps the other team's offensive players from – going the other way and having offensive chances. There's many times where that second line would cycle through two of, of their lines 
and now you've got tired defensemen and tired forwards from the other team on the ice, and they're going to take a penalty or you're going to get a scoring chance. And I, and I think um, I don't think the Knights have that on that second line right now. If it, if we project in, you you figure that Stavney was signed to be the second line center. You figure that, and we've talked about this, that Tatar was brought in. Um, when the Eric Carlson deal didn't go through at the trade deadline as insurance for either Perron or Neil leaving, turns out they both left. So you have to plug Tatar in on, on the second line and then uh, projecting. I, I think the Knights would do better to bring Tuck to that second line right wing spot. He's, I went back and was watching. Yeah, that's the, what the hockey news is, predict, is uh, that, predicting. That's what I that think. it would be a line. Yeah, Daphne, Tatar, and Tug. And, yeah, and, and and to to talk about what you just said is, uh, you know, I think of the, all those players mentioned coming and going, Daphne is by far the best two-way player. So yep. while yes, they're going to miss certain uh, the abilities of Prawn, they'll they'll gain uh, with Daphne. Plus, he, you know, he's a fifty-point guy. Tatar uh, is a guy who's, who's going to give you twenty to twenty-five goals, as you mentioned. And then, uh, so, and Ryan Reeves, you know, in my opinion, accentuates the strength of, you know, having full lines deep and, and uh, uh, brings that physicality. So, and, yeah, you yeah. know, Josh Holden is younger and healthier than Lucas Pisa and gives him depth on the back end of that blue line. So it's a different look, but uh, it's, it's one I like. They did try to keep both Nate Neal and Braun. Didn't work out, and they went in, in a different direction. And um, yeah, I, I think they're. Uh, I think they'll they'll be they'll be fine. Every year is a different year, and Holden providing that depth on defense. Who would have who would have thunk it that you know would come into play so early with with Nate Schmidt, you mm. know, which is a, just a stinky story. Uh, but having said that, you know, in in all these kind of sports, and I understand that he whatever test he te- tested positive for on some kind of, uh, and everyone knows it was, it seems like, uh, you know, an accident or one, whatever you, you have the breakdown of what it was, but when you're running these leagues, uh, in my opinion, it's got to be, you know, if you're going to have a steadfast, uh, drug policy, it's got to be, you know, kind of the no exceptions, because once you make one exception, you open Pandora's box and then you say, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, and they don't want to go down that road. None of these leagues do. No one's saying that Nate Schmidt's a cheater or anything like that. Uh, and, again, uh, you know, in terms of it's, you know, it should be pass-fail, and then, it, in my opinion, and then it's like, well, this is what it is. When you fail the first time, if the rule is 20 games, you know, because once, again, once you go down that road, uh, now then you just got to pass, and then you got a lot of the subjectivity going on. I think it really stinks. And Nate Schmidt falls into that category. It's a big year for Nate Schmidt. You know, he's on uh, he's a he's pending here. UFA. Yeah. yeah, he's a pending UFA. He's only, I think he's 26 going on 27. I mean, that's a quarter of the season. So, you know, the Knights have depth there, uh, but not really how they wanted to start the season. Uh, and I kind of feel bad for him, to say the least. Uh, it was just an unfortunate uh, Incident, to say the least. I, I, I don't know what the, what your take is on it. Um, I think 
I think pass-fail is pass-fail. I don't think there's any problem with that. I think if you have an A sample and it's positive and you test the B sample and it's positive, then that's a failed drug test. I, I, I agree that you have to have a strong enough penalty even at the first offense following Major League Baseball's rules um, that it is a deterrent. And this is yep. of, of all the other sports, you hear about this the least from hockey. Um, it, right. It's a it's a standard thing for a football player to take four games off at some point in his career, right? Um, right. Baseball right. baseball's cleaned up quite a bit. Um, well, I'll say basketball too. You don't hear about this in basketball that much. Um, fighting and and boxing and UFC, they they it, it happens frequently in those sports. Um, I do think that once you get to that that pass-fail threshold, and and if you're dirty, you're dirty, then when you get to the appeal process, I think that the arbiter or, and I'm not even sure if it's a single guy, uh, whether they have a panel that hears the appeal or what have you, that there should be some leeway on length of suspension. Um, When you get to... And, and this is just from reports. I don't have any firsthand knowledge. But when you when you look at um, the the person who testified for him and his appeal said it was a level in his system that was consistent with atmospheric contamination. If you take a one liter bottle of soda and slice that liter into a million parts, and then take one of those parts and slice it into seven billion parts, and that's the level of contamination that was in. Um, Nate Schmidt's bloodstream. Now, you could say it had been worked out of his system, uh, duration from when he took it. If he knew he took it, you could say tainted supplement. Um, There's been some back and forth with the team where his statement came out and said the only supplements that he takes are are provided by the team through the team training staff and that he doesn't take anything outside of that. And um, then George McPhee had a presser yesterday and he came out and said it didn't come from us. And a lot of people are saying that that's the the club walking back Nate Schmidt's statement. Uh, the club did review Nate Schmidt's statement before it was released, and I think I think there's a little confusion, and I think they can both be saying the same thing. Um, if 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 Nate's uh, statement that he only takes supplements provided by the league or by the team, and the team says, well, all of our our supplements are NSF approved, so it couldn't have come out of one of our supplements. So now you're looking at right. uh, possible contaminated supplements, or uh, you know, as they said, atmospheric contamination. I don't know what the heck that means. So <laughs> that's just what they said. I, I don't I don't mind the cut and dry pass fail. I don't think there's any room for leeway if you really want to maintain the integrity uh, and the appearance right. of thinking about PEDs in your league. But I do think in our it's, – it's like if you go – if you get arrested for breaking and entering, right? The the judge has the ability to look at the crime, look at the, the minimum and maximum sentences, and the judge has the ability to oppose the minimum, the maximum, or anything in between. I wouldn't mind in a case like this um, if, they, if they say, okay, well, he was tested then and it was clean and he was tested now and he had this minuscule amount. Yes, he's dirty. Um, but does he deserve to miss a quarter of the season? Um, and that's where you could have a panel of three guys that are involved in scientific way, you know, data at a much higher level than I am, um, admittedly. Then, then yeah, I, I just think, think the league doesn't want to go down that down that road because 
you know, I mean, who you, you know, at that point, and then it's um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Uh, everyone's got their theories and opinion, and now, you know, you got all these different hearings and appeals, and 20 games becomes 10 games. I, I think on this issue, just like the past fail, and I think, like I said, this is like kind of the extreme case where you could definitely, it's hard to come up with a more uh, clear-cut example of one where it, it, it should be appealed, like there should be some leniency, but I don't think they want to go down in the penalty that road. Only. You know what I mean? In the penalty only. I don't. Th- I think he still has to go into the uh, the whatever their their program is and, and face steeper penalties if there's a repeat violation and, and all those right. things. But yeah, for sure, this is the case where you, where you can shake your head and go, man, this seems like there there might be a, a better system to impose the penalty right. side of things um, and duration right. of suspensions and still subject him to the uh, discipline of repeat offender status and and so on and so forth that the players that test positive have to go through. Um, but this, yeah, I, I 100%, I, I agree with you that, that the league doesn't want that Pandora's box open. I agree with you that this is the case where it almost cries to open Pandora's box in this respect. But, the, yeah. I mean, the situation is what it is, and it's going to bring some opportunity to a couple other players, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Zach Whitecloud came up last year and, and played a few games and looked pretty good, and he's, I think, in a couple of the uh, the prospect ratings that he's either the, the second or third best prospect right now um, with the Vegas Golden Knights, and then you bring uh, Branstrom into the discussion where there was a lot of talk locally that he might earn that nine-game cup of coffee to start the season, Excuse me, and I I think that's almost a certainty now. Unless he just comes in and looks completely out of out of place in camp, I think we're going to see Brandstrom start the season with the Vegas Golden Knights, which is exciting because he's he's a super dynamic young defenseman uh, from Sweden, and he he looked really good in in the juniors, and it's a chance for him to show everybody what he can do. And then I think Zach Zach Whitecloud also when. Put it this way, I don't think they're going to burn a free agent year on Branstrom, so I think he gets his nine games and he goes back. And then you bring White Cloud up for the next ten games of the seasons, and then you also still have Brad Hunt and John Merrill who filled in and, and both bring Vegas Golden Knights-style defense in, in their games. So I think between the four of those players, I think there's opportunity for all of them. And I, I think outside of, of the Vegas Golden Knights community – um, people are looking at this as a huge problem for the Vegas Golden Knights. And I think that at, at, committee, by committee that I think those four players, it'll be fun to watch Branstrom early in the season. I, I really want to see White Cloud play some more because he's a highly touted guy. And then with uh, the, the, the guys that have been there in the system in, in Hunt and Merrill, I think they get through it. And I don't want to say they miss a beat because anytime you, you drop your – you know, your first pair of defensemen and, and the things that Nate Schmidt brings to the club, not just on the ice, but off the ice, as far as the leader in the locker room and and just his his upbeat, always, always happy, always energetic. His personality fits this group uh, to a T. Um, I, I think that the four players I just mentioned will be able to go in and, and take that 20 games and 
lessen the impact of Nate Schmidt quite a bit. Um, yeah, I would say in terms of Brandstrom, I think uh, because he's such a young kid, he's he's going to need to, and this goes to Cody Glass and Nick Suzuki, uh, but I think their task, task is even harder than Brandstrom's uh, given the Schmidt uh, uh, suspension. But I think with Brandstrom, he's going to have to, you know, really wow everybody and um, uh, from that standpoint and make it pretty cr- clear that he's ready and then like you mentioned burning that first year of that entry level uh you know you know hunt and merrill are guys who who played uh with the club last year so they know the system they've been around the team and uh you know white cloud's a guy that they they signed as a free agent and he, he gives them some depth as well so you know you so you're talking about their seventh eighth and ninth guys in there so that they they have depth there i mean you're going to have injuries along the way, or you're going to have situations where players can't play. Um, you know, I think training camp, you know, Branson looks great in training camp. Yeah, I think, um, no doubt. I think he's going to get, you know, get the, get that. Get the nine You can see him getting that look, getting that look seat, but I think it's, he's going to have to look, you know, great uh, during that span. So it's always hard to, it's always hard to tell when you're dealing with a 19, 20-year-old Obviously, the the franchise is very ecstatic about uh, the futures of Suzuki, Glass, and Brandstrom, and I, I think there's a good chance that at least two of them are going to be on the team come opening night uh, next season for the 2019-2020 season. So for sure, uh, it's hard it's hard for me to see Glass or Suzuki making it with the depth that they have, but you never know. Injuries happen in training camp, and again, if they if they're blowing everyone away in camp, then that's something to consider. Uh, Chris Source is going to be calling it in about five minutes. I want to get to William Carlson. Yeah, big... one other thing, though. Okay. One other thing on the defense yep. that uh, there's still Shea Theodore's spot open. He is unsigned as we speak. The rookie, the first rookie game is tonight. So in my mind, um, when they drop the puck at City, Na- City National Arena – the, the preseason is underway tonight at 7 o'clock. Um, the, the, the Vegas Golden Knights rookies play the Colorado Avalanche rookies. So if that thing lingers, and just I'm going to put this out there, Sinbin.com tweeted a picture. They've, they've reworked the City National Arena practice facility and basically finished it. It was a rush job, and they went through last season, whatever, um, re- restyled the interiors of the ice surfaces, and they had a huge mural of Shea Theodore on one side of the Golden Knights logo and then a picture of Flurry on the other side. Well, the Shea Theodore, and this is brand new. This is, this is you know, this is new construction over the summer. Well, that Shea Theodore poster was taken down, and there was another one put up in its place. And to take that with a grain of salt, the the, the club yeah. put out the statement that was they they just wanted a different contrast in the picture between what the Theodore picture was and and not and then a lot of people started with hashtag Eric Carlson in uh, and and people were speculating on that Theodore was going the other way in in, in the Eric Carlson trade and take it for what it's no, worth, no. but uh, right. that, that that say Theodore thing there's still a spot open technically at this time. Um, for either Branstrom or White Cloud or, or one of the other guys, Nick Haig, doesn't appear to be ready. They're still working on his skating and getting his footwork up to speed. Um, another highly pro- touted uh, Vegas Golden Knights defensive prospect. So um, as of right now, I mean, you, you, 
you kind of wish Theodore had signed earlier in the year before it gets to time to report to training camp next week. Um, so that's still I, you know, I, a question mark. I don't know much about the comings and goings of that, but uh, I think a lot of the guys who in the league who remain unsigned, I think you'll get uh, you know, whittled down to just one or two guys to keep an eye out for. I think Theodore's deal will get – it's hard for me not to see this deal getting done. It's kind of a complicated process from the standpoint of these are guys who are restricted free agents who do not have – who are not arbitration eligible. So it's Correct. kind of a game of back and forth and kind of thing. And they're trying to just, you know uh, – you know, play play this out as far as they can to to get the best deal that they can, and and then you know if you're Shea Theodore, do you take a shorter term deal for less money so you can get to restricted free agency with arbitration rights quicker, or do you sign a long term deal and things of that nature? But uh, uh, but it's a good point to bring up for sure. It's something to keep an eye out for, and, and just in case something gets a little haywire. But uh, you know, William Collison signed a one year deal. He was an RFA. And I think this yep. is a great deal for both sides. I mean, he's, he's making, I believe, around $5 million or so. Uh, so, nice, nice chunk of change. But it's basically, look, he... Uh, now, I don't want to say he came out... He came out of nowhere from a goal standpoint, but when he was... You know, we've been on the Carlson bandwagon, both me and you, going back to the days of looking at a potential expansion draft list. But both yeah. me and you would, would be the first one to say, hey, it's the guy who plays a two-way game, can play center, he can play wing, uh, he can skate. You know, if you can get 15 to 20 goals out of them with a, a larger role, you 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 know you got a nice player there. No one foresaw a 40 goal season uh, hmm. this year for Wayne Paulson. So 23 percent shooting percentage. <laughs> yeah, so so basically, it's like, look, let's do it again, and then you'll get your long term deal. I mean, I, I think that's what you know everyone's on the same page about. I think that's very fair from both from player standpoint and the club standpoint um you know to me he doesn't have to score 40 again if he uh if he just shows that he's a first line talent uh this year whatever the numbers come out to be if he gets you know 70 points and scores 32 goals or or scores 36 or hits 40 again then you know they'll iron out a long-term deal so i think it's a deal that works well and good for william carlson for for betting on himself the same standpoint for sure for sure and that's like the overriding question with the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, can they repeat last season? I don't think anybody thinks that um, 109 points uh, is out of the question, but I don't think anybody's saying that it's a shoe-in either. I think, you know, there were 13 Golden Knights that had career highs in goals, assists, or points. Flurry had his career highs in save percentage and, and goals allowed. Are those are those repeatable, sustainable numbers? You always wonder about that with with career seasons. And but but at the same time, the most of the players that had had career highs in, in whatever scoring stat you want to talk about also got to play more minutes than they've ever got to play in, in any of the situations they played in before. So, so to me, the real question is, did these guys play over their head or was this, is this who they are uh, with the minutes and opportunities that they weren't, you know, they, they weren't in, in the situation that they came from. And, and th- to me, that's the, the question going forward with the golden Knights. 
Um, not is it a good team. Not uh, was last year a Cinderella story fluke that they're going to miss the playoffs this year and and be, you know, a 70-point team, an 80-point team. I, I really don't think that's going to happen. Um, can they get to the 109-point plateau and win the division? That's that's a big question um, considering how strong the Sharks are and added to in the offseason. And to talk about the Sharks and the rest of the Pacific Division, we've got Chris Storrs on the line from the Teal Town podcast to come in and help us out with that. You can follow Chris for all of his Teal Town and San Jose Sharks content at Chris, and I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, there it is, at Chris JWS on Twitter. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking some time this morning with us. Hey, guys. Good morning. How's it going? It's going real good. It's going real good. We just got finished uh, rolling through the Vegas Golden Knights, and since you're uh, the Sharks Teal Town podcast team, uh, let's jump right into the Sharks. Uh, is, and, and this is probably a redundant question. I think all three of us think that the, the answer to this is yes, but I want to get your take on it. The Sharks, a primetime contender to win the Pacific Division and for the Stanley Cup, yes or no? Uh, I would say definitely right there to contend for the division. Like, they're one of the group, you know, the Kings, the Ducks, the Sharks, that just are there every year almost. So I, I have a hard time discounting them until I see them falter. And for the Stanley Cup, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the just get into the playoffs and play hard and hope for the best because sometimes the stars align, whether it's your opponents, whether it's your goaltender playing hot or whatever it is. And, you know, when they went two years ago, no one that season had them pegged as, oh, this is a finals caliber team. Uh, it was just the right set of circumstances, the right opponents for them, all those right things aligned. So I would say they can, you know, given the right circumstances, they could definitely uh, be right there in uh, late May and June. For sure. So they 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 uh, they did go ahead and re-sign Evander Kane, and I'm going to. I, I was on record at the time that that I'm not an Evander Kane fan. Um, I I think there was enough leadership on the Sharks to to rein that in, and then I'll also say that that I ate a bunch of crow, and and I'm man enough to admit it that he went in there, he did what he was supposed to do, he kept his nose clean, he he conformed to the leadership of the team and was probably the best trade pickup at the trade deadline from anybody in the National Hockey League. Um, your thoughts on the Kane signing and, and how that can affect the team going forward, salary cap-wise and production-wise on the ice? Certainly a very, very polarizing acquisition, a polarizing re-signing even. Uh, I, I wasn't really a fan of the initial acquisition, but in a lot of ways you've won me over. I think that yeah, I said at the time, I was like, if he can't succeed in San Jose, I don't know if there's any team he can really succeed on because he has a supporting cast. He has, you know, guys who can he can play with, who can set him up well. He has leadership in the locker room. He has a fan base that is very supportive. Like, it's not like it's cutthroat some fan bases that he may have played for previously. So the fan base is not going to turn on him quickly if he isn't if he isn't able to get in there right away and – just generally off the ice, you know, he's not going to have, you know, people heckling him in the streets if he had a rough game or something. So I felt like right place. If he's going to succeed somewhere, it was here. I hope that continues because it is a pretty small sample size we got last season, but I, I am hopeful that at least we can get, you know, we can squeeze 
five or you know five-ish years of that contract out productively, um, then I, I'm happy with it because you know it's almost always any long-term deal. The last couple of years are often a waste. Hey Chris, it's Chris here. Great to have you back on the show. Again, follow Chris and his cohorts. They do a great job at uh, on uh, Teal Town. Uh, it was a pleasure to join them last year during the playoffs. So I want to talk about the Calgary Flames a bit. Um, I, it's hard to find a team that was a bigger disappointment last year, especially considering all the issues in the Pacific Division uh, last year. The hockey news, you know, uh, the Oilers, which I everyone respects. Not to cut you yeah. off, but uh, the Oilers were a pretty big disappointment too. Yeah, I'd say it's relatively speaking, not very far down the road from them. Yeah, Alberta. Yeah. Al- Something wrong in Alberta. The water must have been bad or something. But go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. No worries. Uh, so, in terms, you know, the hockey news, uh, they're buying in on the Calgary Flames. They have predicted that uh, they're going to win the Pacific Division and even have have them going to the Western Conference Finals. There's been a lot of changes in Calgary coaching personnel. What say you, Chris? Are you are you going to are you a buyer on the Flames or uh, or do you have a lot of questions? Um, I'm a, I'm a buyer in that I think they're going to be there until the very end, and I don't think I buy them as a division winner just yet. I think there's, you know, they're they're going to have to, you know, beat the beat the guys in front of them first to be able to do that. But I I definitely think they will be better this year, or you know, obviously more heads will roll. Um, I, I do like the acquisitions they had. Um, you know, James Neal, very, you know, you guys are pretty familiar with him. Um, I, my, if, if I had to guess, I'm saying they end up fourth, but a close fourth, maybe in a wild card. Okay. And what about, you know, the big, it didn't per se come up, but because their play was so up and down last year, but, you know, Mike Smith's going to turn 37 during this during the regular season, and uh, after him, uh, you got John Gillis, a talented young guy, but a young guy. How much of a concern is that for you? Yeah, that's definitely one of the things. Uh, when I was looking at him, I was like, um, Mike Smith has always been a menace to the Sharks, so I have a certain amount of respect for him. But he is definitely getting up there in years, and I will be very happy when he's no longer in the league to torment the Sharks. Um, if you look at his save percentage versus the Sharks versus every other team, he's almost always tormented them throughout his career. So I, I think that's definitely a concern, though, how old he is. Because I, I think if he plays, if he stays healthy and plays a lot, I think they will be right in the thick of it. But obviously, if he's not in there, who's stepping up? I don't see. I don't see it there right now. Maybe you know, you never know. Things happen, but I don't. I just don't see it. Well, Chris, let me jump now, in real quick. I wanted to uh, yeah. I wanted to follow follow up on the Mike Smith thing. I've wa- you know watching him from his days back in Arizona and a long time me being a long time Kings fan and now also covering the Vegas Golden Knights. Do you did you ever get the feeling that that Mike Smith has a and I don't know any other way to put it a body language issue when things don't go his way. He he wears that on his sleeve, and that can take him out of his game. And he he's one of the goaltenders that can get rattled and lose his focus. I, I've seen him skate behind the net and try and start fights with Kopitar and Brown, and and go on down the list with the Kings. And he and he, and he showed some of that last season, also against the Vegas Golden Knights, who were down three nothing to Calgary with five minutes left in the game, and uh, 
a couple quick goals and I saw the same thing out of Mike Smith and he lost his composure and he, and he gave up the softy to tie in the Knights go on and win in overtime. Um, have, have you ever felt that way about Mike Smith? Cause I, I just can't, I can't see him. If, if that's the question mark on the team, I don't think Mike Smith makes the difference between them being a playoff team and a not, not a playoff team. I just wanted to get your thoughts because you've, you've seen a lot of him and he has been sort of a, a thorn in the shoe of the San Jose Sharks over the years. But do, do you feel that's a valid criticism on my part? I would definitely agree because the occasional time the Sharks have gotten to him, which <laughs> does happen, has happened once in a while, uh, he's had his share of meltdowns. I mean, halftime is usually just him being, well, you know, not going to, say it but uh being a little something something that is hacking at everyone's ankles yeah, uh, yeah. with his stick as they're standing in front of the net like I've, I've definitely seen him lose it on more than one occasion when uh things have not gone his way so but i mean he's also got to when things are going well he he can just stonewall you know he does there's, there's been true. games i know where the sharks just got so frustrated by him because like every single time they have a great opportunity and make that save every time. And they, they were the ones getting frustrated. So he can, he can definitely be a menace, but I mean, yeah, between the age and the fact that, you know, he might have some rough nights because how, how well that, de- you know, if that defense is always going to play well in front of him, don't know, you know, it's there definitely could have off nights and that's where he could lose his composure as well. So Chris, I want right, to talk about the oil. Uh, talk about the Oilers, and you know it's amazing. Just thinking, not too long ago, a couple, you know, year and a half ago, this team was, you know, one win away from getting to the Western Conference Finals. And you know, sometimes the young teams they 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 take a step back to go two steps forward. So, uh, but what concerns me when looking at this lineup. For this year, I mean, granted, they have the best player arguably in the game, and probably not arguably in Conor McDavid, one of the top players in, in Dreisaitl. But, you know, again, looking at the hockey news, this depth chart, they have two youngsters in Yamamoto, who's, a, you know, a pure rookie in Puvari in their top six. Um, you know, obviously they got bad news this mo- uh, this summer with Sakara, um, and they already have, you know, some issues on defense. Um, it's this. There's a depth problem on this team, despite having those two dynamic players. They have a problem in terms of scoring on this team. Um, give me the give me the argument how this is going to be, uh, I guess, a good year for the Oilers. Oh, <laughs> that's that's a good question. Um, I mean, honestly, and I don't want to throw him to the bus because he had many good years here in San Jose. I think part of the problem is Todd McClellan because he definitely had a propensity to focus very much on the top of his lineup. And obviously that's not a problem in the oil with the Oilers, but he often kind of neglected secondary scoring and didn't, he liked to use his line blender, but he was not very effective at it quite often. And I think Ultimately, I, I wonder if the way that they succeed is by him being out early in the season and them putting someone in there who will mix it up a little bit and be able to get a little more, uh, you know, a little more effective deployment out of their, uh, out of their forwards. Because I, I think I, I have a hard time seeing Todd McClellan survive the next year. Yeah, and and I agree with most of what you just said. I. I 
I want to put this this team in in the playoff hunt, but I don't I don't know if I can. Are are they the team from two years ago? Maybe not as good as that. Are they the te- team from last year? Maybe not as bad as that. Um, you know, when you look at the Pacific Division overall, and you want to and you want to bring the Oilers up, you got to think about who's going to be going down. And I, I don't see I don't see the Sharks going down. Um, unless they have some injuries to to some of the veteran leadership that they have on the ice, if Martin Jones goes down, but I mean you can't you can't really plan a season around what happens if this guy gets hurt. So you just you look at it. I see I see Vegas probably finishing second. Um, then you then you look at the group of like you said Kings Ducks maybe the Flames as, as hundred point teams. I mean Anaheim with all of the injuries and all of the problems that they had last year. Um, still managed to squeak the Sharks for second in the division. Um, didn't matter in the playoffs, but they did. You know, they managed to squeak second in the division, home ice in the first round out of out of a season that, you know, many people were writing off in December as a team that's too injured to to go forward. So um, who, who who drops down and and brings the Oilers up? And I don't know. I don't know which Cam Talbot we're going to see. I don't know what the, that defense core is going to do. Um, I got so, one, and I got. I don't mean to interrupt, Mark, but I got one no, more please. for both of you guys. Yeah. What happens if they were to lose McDavid or Drysaddle to injury for just say one month? I mean, they need um, those two guys performing <laughs> at their A plus level. Eighty two games. Basically eighty games. Yeah. To have to, to really have a chance to have this to be you know a real good season. I mean, who knows? Well, you, maybe somebody. You're one hundred percent correct. You're one hundred percent right. And I mean, do they get? Are they bad enough to where if McDavid goes out for four to six weeks, that they're they're in the lottery for another first round pick? And now we see a Hughes in Edmonton. I mean, uh, ouch! I, I, I have a hard time. I, I really struggled with with this this team when we were looking at the Pacific Division this year because I'm not sure who's who's going to be there. Um, what, what else do we want to get? I, I wanted to ask. Chris, one more thing on the Sharks. We have it, we have a lot of, of, of veterans who are, who are getting up in age on that team. We've already seen uh, uh, Marlowe depart for Toronto and, and Thornton uh, in, injured to end the season last season. I guess first off, do we have a report on Thornton and, and his health? Is he going to be ready to go to start the season? And is, is the aging core of this group – given the, the speed that the rest of the division is going to with the, the Goudreaux's in Calgary and obviously the style Vegas plays. Even L.A. is trying to get into a more quicker pace offense. Is that any sort of a concern or is that a wait and see once the team hits the ice, how, how, they, can, how they can perform? I think it's definitely a concern from where I'm sitting. It has been for a couple years, really, because, I mean, the first time the Sharks really got exposed for their lack of speed was in the Stanley Cup final, because you just saw Pittsburgh. They were just all over them. They were playing super fast. And even prior to that, you'd seen them struggle with some of the, the faster young teams. But fortunately, at that point, most of those teams were, you know, the Oilers and other teams that were fast but were not making the playoffs. Uh, but they saw one right there in front of them in the Stanley Cup final that could just run up and down the ice way faster than they could. So it's definitely still a concern. They've got they've addressed it in bits, I would say. They're they're still not quite there. I mean, Evander Kane is a guy who can play that style. 
they thought Bodker could. Bodker did not work out so great. Um, you know, guys like Donskoy, Tierney, Timo Meyer can, you know, play that type of pace. Hurdle can play that type of pace. So fortunately, they do have some some guys that are really in there somewhere between their top six and their top nine that are all that type of player. Joe Thornton, that's a big question for me. Um, I haven't heard a lot about his injury status. I don't know. if I, I think they want him to be there at the start of the season. I'm concerned, though, about what he's going to do, you know, how, how many minutes a game he's going to play five on five. I don't know if they're going to be able to possess the puck enough to offset the potential liabilities at the other end of the ice there. And that's, you know, I'm a huge Joe Thornton fan. I just wonder if he's going to be fast enough to, to play just to play average even really. So that's, is it that's a, a question is, I have. Is it enough for Joe Thornton to be average five on five and then be, be the catalyst in front of the net uh, as a finisher and of course with his passing ability and um, I maybe calling it a power play specialist would be too much, but if, if that's the role that Joe Thornton plays, is that enough? I would say it's possible. So uh, I did compile the numbers quite a while ago, but last season they were somewhere around 22, 23% on the power play. So that's good for top five. Most of the season he goes down uh, the power play just completely tanked. And they draw. They ended up at like 17% at the end of the season. So they, that'll that'll tell you how much of an impact last season he had on the power play. Um, he is he's very capable still, you know, five, you know, in five on four situations at moving the puck around and doing that type of stuff. And that's where I wonder if maybe he ends up playing barely above fourth line minutes five on five and let him spend more time, you know, spend more of his time on the power play. It'd be. I'm curious if that could work or not. Um, also, I think five on five, uh, Pavelski missed him last year because that's usually been the guy setting him up, and he had one of his worst years, I think, since like 2011. So he he had a pretty down year last year. Uh, I think was marred by injuries, but also missed missed the guy who set him up on a pretty regular basis in Thornton. So I I think, you know, best case scenario, Thornton plays a limited amount of five on five is able to set up Pavelski and put in good situations, you know, deployed in the offensive zone more often. Right. And and plays on the power play and is able to help that, you know, them be effective there because I think definitely last season you, you saw him when, when he was gone, you could see the difference. Okay, Chris, I got three quick hits for you. Let's start with Arizona. They get Galchenyuk out of the spotlight of Montreal. They're going to try him at center. I don't know if I agree with that, but they get him out of Montreal. They add Grabner to get some, give the team a little bit more depth. Chikrin is hope, uh, now healthy. Ekman Larson is signed. They have Ratna. Hopefully he can play close to 50 games and stay healthy. And probably the best one-two goalies tandem they've had for a while uh, with Kepner. Um, they need the youngsters to continue to develop. Obviously, Clayton Keller had an outstanding year finishing in the Calder race in the top three. Uh, Arizona had a horrible start. Uh, finished well for the last couple months of the season. I'm not going to put the the onus on making the playoffs, but are you high enough on them that they could be around in the playoff picture come March, or is that too much to ask? 
I think they could very well be or still in, in the conversation in March. Uh, like you said, solid goaltending, defense is solid enough. I, th- I think the big question is what happens up front, uh, you know, how well the coach is deploying them and how, you know, how effectively he's using his forwards. I, I you know, it, it's, it's, this one's a hard one for me to peg and looking, you know, looking around the internet, different opinions, it's true for a lot of people there. It's really hard. Some people think they could be in. Some people think they're definitely out. And, you know, it does have a little bit of the, the same feel of uh, the Knights last year where it's like they they got some, some talent and some pieces. You know, if everything kind of aligns together, if guys have great years, maybe, you know, maybe they are right in the conversation. Maybe they are uh, nipping at the heels of the Sharks and Knights come early April. It would be nice to see Dylan Strom have a real solid full season. And you know, this is a guy a couple of years ago was the number one prospect in all of hockey. He finished well in a limited amount of games down the stretch. So, again, no one's asking him to score 70 points. But can he be a solid player for them this year and, let's say, give him 40 points? Yeah, I definitely look at the team overall as, you know, this is a team I could see playing well for 40 games, 50 games. Can they play, you know, can they have a stretch of 82 games where they're playing and not having enough bad dips where they can be in it at the end? I think the answer is they could. (laughs) It's definitely possible. (laughs) Well, my thing with Arizona, real quick, Chris, um, it's all well and good to show up in, in May, late February and get on a nice run when the games don't matter to you anymore because you've played so terribly in October and November and December. Um, they have to show me that they can come out of the gate in the first 25 games of the season and put themselves in position so those games matter. Um, when, when you play yourself out of the playoffs by Thanksgiving, you can't do anything but play better later in the season, right? So for me, with Arizona, we, uh, a couple years ago, they were kind of the Calgary Flames in this division where a lot of people saw that the Declare and the Domi deal and the young guys that they had coming in were going to uh, start the Arizona revival, if you will. And that ended up being with those guys are no longer even there on that roster anymore. So like you said, could they do it for 40 games? Could they do it for 50 games? Sure, maybe. Um, can they put an 82 game campaign together that's going to put them at 96, 97 points, which is what I think it's going to take to make the playoffs in the West. Um, I, I have a hard time saying that Arizona's ready to do that. Uh, I, I will admit they brought in some nice pieces. Um, they, they've got rid of some players like a declaring Domi that they, they lost their faith in and it was time to move on. Um, but, as far as Arizona goes, I'm a show me, don't tell me guy. Um, we've been down this road before with them where it was like, yeah, this is the year. And they finished with like 72 points. So um, for Arizona, for me, that it, it always, I, I like Galchenyuk and, you know, Chris knows that I'm a big culture guy and the culture in Arizona has been terrible. You've had the, the city you play in trying to kick you out of your arena. You've had, Obviously, the the struggles with the franchise are well documented, but bringing in guys that have been part of a, a, a tradition or traditional franchise can maybe help some of their younger players in the room, showing the long-term commitment to Oliver Ekman-Larsen, um, shows a little bit more stability in the franchise. 
So you have to start turning that culture around in some way. And, and maybe that's the beginning of it. But to answer your question, Chris, I don't, I don't see them there. Uh, May, April, um, I, prove me wrong. <laughs> I guess that's I, I where I, agree. That's where I am with Arizona. And then Chris, you wanted to also get, get Chris's thoughts on Vancouver as well, right? Yeah, and I want to hit him up real quick on a question on the Ducks and Kings. But Vancouver, Chris, um, uh, obviously a huge building block, and hopefully Elias Peterson could be this year's uh, in this year's Calder race. But hard to see this team being anything but a surefire lottery team building for the future this year. Would you agree with that? I would agree, and I think that's what, based on talking to all their fans, their fans are hoping that they're a lottery team and. Uh, they're uh, they're chasing the top pick because it seems like, yeah, I don't think they have any much. You know, even the fan base, even the hardcore fans, don't want don't want them to uh, to accidentally uh, come anywhere near a playoff spot this year. Yeah, they want to go from the Sedin twins to the Hughes brothers, right? How about yeah. it? That, that, that would be awesome. Okay. One thing so on Vancouver, Chris, I wanted to I wanted to get with you, uh, Mr. Lisa. Did did uh, I, I want to know if you saw the rumors uh, Eric Carlson to Vancouver a couple weeks ago, oh, and and uh, the the somebody tweeted out and it wasn't LeBron but it was one of those guys that Vancouver was heavily in the mix, and if there's ever a wrong time and a wrong place to make a move like that, was it any worse? team that could get involved in the Eric Carlson thing, but Vancouver, given that they do have that, that youthful core that, that just needs a couple years to develop. And then you pick up all the cap relief from the Sedin twins retiring and you throw it at Bobby Ryan and, and Eric Carlson, where there's no guarantee Carlson's going to come back. So if, if you do that deal and then you have Carlson for a, a season and he walks, then you've got uh, Bobby Ryan for seven and a half million dollars. Is that, do you see any way? Right, let me, say, let me say something real quick about Eric Carlson. I know he's going to get traded between now and the trade deadline uh, at the end of February. But and until that happens, uh, you know, just, I don't want to read any more rumors until it just tell me when the deal is done. I, I've read 400 rumors uh, from Sunday. Uh, kind of like the Matt about Eric thing. Carlson. We almost yeah. had to talk about and, that every week when that was going on for a year. Right, and when, and, and when we stopped talking about it, he uh, ironically got moved to Ottawa. So uh, I, I'm at a point with Eric <laughs> Carlson. Yeah, I'm at a point with Eric Carlson of he, not that he's done anything wrong, but you know what? Just get the get the deal done. I've, it's going to happen. I have no clue when. I think at this point they might be better off holding on to him and creating a. Uh, a frenzy or a competition in terms of a rental market for him come February and get the teams to overpay in terms of a rental market. But uh, King, King, King Ducks, Ducks, Chris. <laughs> okay. Uh, tell me, are the Kings and Ducks still a true contender or are they going on? Are they on the downside? I'm, Kind of, you know, with my partner here, I'm afraid to say this, but I'm kind of concerned about the age on the Kings uh, and with with their with their core players. Uh, how do you sing, see the Kings and the Ducks in terms of are they still a force to be reckoned with, or are they trending downwards? 
I would say they're definitely both on the decline, obviously. Uh, but, you know, like we said about, you know, Arizona and the other direction, it's kind of a show me thing. These are teams that have been there. They've done it several, several times over the last decade. So they both have a lot of experience being in the playoffs. They know how to, how to put together an 82 game campaign. They know how to even recover from a really bad stretch. So I have our time fully discounting these guys. I mean, if you look at the Kings last year, they were number one in goals allowed. Uh, quick is still quick. And that defense is still very good at, you know, just keeping shots from getting to the net in the first place. So I, of the two, I, I like the Kings better because I think that they play, they still play very, very strong defense. Scoring is sometimes questionable. Like you said, the age um, is definitely there. The Ducks, I, I'm, I am picking them to actually falter this year, which I know I will regret like when April rolls around and they're still right in the mix as they always seem to be. But yeah. I, I will, I will uh, make a fool of myself if I have to. I'm All with right, you on Chris, that. give us your – Give me your predictions, one, two, three, in the Pacific Division before we let you go, and tell everyone where they can uh, find uh, find your stuff and your podcast and so forth. Certainly. So I'm picking Vegas to finish first again. I think they do have a, a, a less magical year this year. I think they come down to earth a little bit, you know, right, right around 100 points, because I think there's a lot of guys that might – uh, not have as great of a year, but I think they'll still be there. Uh, I think San Jose is going to be right there. Probably it's going to be a very close one-two finish. So Vegas, San Jose, and then I think LA will be in the three spot. Calgary in the four, the four hole possibly even uh, as a wild card. So I think that's that's how I think it shakes out uh, as far as where you can find me. So you mentioned before my Twitter at ChrisJWS. You can find uh, our podcast at Teal Town USA on Twitter. We're on YouTube, we're on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, all that good stuff. So very easy to find. We do a post game every game. We do a weekly podcast, and we have a lot of special interviews to drop throughout the throughout the year. All right, that's great. Great job today, Chris. We appreciate you taking the time to come on. And uh, you know, I, I always like the, uh, the the independent analysis. So when when the Sharks guy comes on and picks Vegas to uh, take the division again after uh, after last season, that's that's outstanding stuff by you, sir. Uh, we appreciate that. And we'd definitely have you back later on in the season and talk about the Pacific Division, Sharks, Knights, Kings, and uh, we'll have to call ourselves on the carpet for our our preseason picks because I think I'm going to mirror you. Uh, but I'm probably going to flip. I'm still not decided. Our next segment is our picks, and I don't even know where I'm going yet. But I think I'm saying Sharks, Knights, Kings. So you have me on the Teal Town podcast, and I'll pick the Sharks. You came on here, you picked the Knights. One of us will probably be right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, have a Chris. Good day. Thank you, sir. Well, all right, Chris. Um, I did want to get into right. a little bit more de- detail on the on the Kings and Ducks. We kind of didn't touch on them, and one of them was the second place team in the division, and and one of them was the wild card representative from the division, and I think. I think those teams both deserve a little bit more analysis than the, we gave to the Coyotes. Well, so, how about you give me the Ducks, and I'll let you take the King. And yep. this is what I'll say about the Ducks. Obviously, Getzloff, Curry, uh, and Kessler are on the wrong side of 30. There's a lot of miles in those bodies, to say the least. Kessler, who knows in terms of his 
his hip production really went down last year for Perry. And they say he may sit off. the season out. They say they say yeah, Kessler may so, sit out the whole season. And if that's if that's a wash, then absolutely they they fall out of the playoffs, right? I mean, well, and then you have Patrick Eves, too, and his condition, and he can't yeah. be relied on. I'll, I'll give you a couple names, though. A couple, this might open the door for a couple of really talented kids to keep an eye out during training camp, and that's Sam Steele, who's done everything at the junior level. I think he's ready to take the next step. He's one of the top prospects. He's been on the top 50 prospects list for the Hockey News the last couple of years. Max Jones, former first-round pick himself from a couple of years ago, and Troy Terry. Right. These three kids, you know, again, I'm not asking these three kids to win the calendar this year, but they they, they could contribute and uh, uh, and provide some depth, provide some scoring. Again, they're kids. Um, the thing for me with the Ducks is this is a team that's been pretty stable. Uh, these players know each other. They did trade for Adam Henrique, who was a 50-point guy, and a couple of years ago did even better than that. But you got Josh Gibson, you got Ryan Miller backing him up, you got a real good defensive, you know, group. Uh, yeah, the power for sure. plays a mess, but they're one of the top penalty killing units. They usually, you know, they finished third last year in terms of goals against during the regular season. Uh, again, I'm probably going to look like a fool for picking them, but I have them. I have uh, Sharks one and Vegas two, like you do, but I'm going to bank on Josh Gibson and their defense uh, and get and squeezing enough offense and maybe even adding a player during the season via trade in terms of a forward uh, to get them to that three spot. Uh, I don't feel good about that pick just for to let everyone know because after the Sharks and the Knights, I have some serious question marks about everyone in the division. So, uh, but that's my, that's my case for the Ducks and why I'm going to take them third. Well, I, I think the strength of that team is going to be their defense. And I don't, I don't, they've yeah. added Andre sister from Tampa and also Luke Shin, uh, a yeah, couple guys, 27, 28 years old. And you put that in with Hampus Lidholm, Josh Manson, Cam Fowler, Brandon Montour. Um, I think that's a pretty solid top to bottom defensive Oh, yeah. oriented uh defensive oriented unit to, uh from from you know one through six and and i think gibson uh i don't know if i'm ready to say top 10 goaltender well, the but Ducks Jack, they give him an eight, eight year extension yeah, 100%. <laughs> now now is that because they think he's there now or they think that he's about to become that goaltender. Um, either way, I'm on the I'm on the same page with that. I, I'm a fan of Gibson. I think he's more more than adequate. Let's say I think he's he's probably in that yep. ten to fifteen group. And and uh, if he busts out another season like last like last year, then you have to say he's a top ten goalie in the league. And that's the strength of the group. I think the age up front and the question marks around Kessler. Uh, can Perry bounce back and be what he was? He scored his fewest goals of his career almost last season. Um, can Getzloff stay healthy now? That might be the last hurrah for that group as a unit uh, with with the aging core that's been there forever. Um, but the, can they score enough? It, it's tough because like last year in December we were saying, oh my goodness, look at look at everything that Anaheim's going through. They're injured. Everybody's out. No one knows when they're coming back. And they finished second division with 101 points. So, right. Um, they found a way. 
Yeah. Uh, granted, they got swept in the first round, but I, I'm, I'm, sure. we're talking about regular season predictions there. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's hard to take them out of the picture, but I think there's less of, of a question mark surrounding the forward group in Los Angeles than there is around the forward group in, in Anaheim. And if you look at, let's say, let's say if you're going to take Quick or Gibson uh, to start a franchise with, well, you're going to take Quick. He had his yep. second best season last season in in goals allowed and save percentage. Uh, second in the league goals allowed, third in the league in save percentage, top ten in wins, top uh, top ten in shutouts. Uh, so, so a, a, a very solid campaign even though he was a little questionable during the season with a little injury a uh, little bug there that he had but if you saw his play in the first round of the playoffs against the Vegas Golden Knights he's the only reason that series was as close as it was and I say as close as it was understanding that it was a sweep but that was a very close series a lot of those games you know double overtime game two goal game. the game winner one goal game one goal game one goal game and, and Jonathan Quick is the reason why the they scored three goals in four games um, so I, I, I got to go with quick there. When you, when you look at the defensive core, I think the defense in LA uh, is more top heavy as depth wise. Um, but they have a, a higher top end than Anaheim's defensive group. Um, but then when you, when you get to the forward core, um, you got Kopitar with a career high in goals, assists, and points. Won the Selkie Trophy, 35 goals, 57 point assists, 92 points. Dustin Brown with a fantastic bounce back year with 28 goals, 33 assists, 61 points. Now Ilya Kovalchuk is is the new guy, 35 years old, uh, points leader in the KHL, but this is the NHL. He's the question mark. Uh, obviously, they're going to put him into uh, Kopitar's left wing. If let's say. Let's say Ilya Kovalchuk comes in and gives you 60 points because when you're in the King system, you can almost take 15 goals off and, and 15 assists off what your career numbers are. We've seen lots of Kings go elsewhere and they were scoring 12, 15 goals in the Kings roster. And, you know, Brian Boyle, Teddy Purcell gone down the list. They go elsewhere and they turn into 30 goal scorers. So let's just give Kovalchuk 60 points. That, that gives that top line for the Kings uh, 213 points overall on the season if Kopitar and Brown uh, match last season's total, which always, if you come off a career year in goals, you wonder, is that repeatable? Um, w- we'll see. But it, anywhere around the 200-point plateau for that top line and Kovalchuk's contribution, um, that's a plus. Now you get Carter back. He missed 55 games last year and was not himself when he returned. Um, he, he had a, a you know, Achilles laceration. Those are never easy to come back from. Um, so let's say Carter has had all this time uh, since they did get swept in the first round. Uh, so he's been rehabbing and, and healing and working out. Hopefully he comes back. And now you have Pearson and Toffoli um, and that 70s line back together again when they skate together. They're a pretty dynamic unit. Without Carter, uh, they're a pretty average group. Um, then then you go down into the bottom six with the Kings. They've lost some of their center depth with Nick Dowd and Nick Shore both leaving the franchise. Um, so there'll be some camp battles for that. But I look at the the upside of the Kings forward group to be higher than the upside of, of the Ducks forward group. So I am going Sharks, Knights, Kings with that third-place division. And I will put Calgary fourth 
possible wild card. We'll see when we get to the central. And I think fifth place is going to be between the Oilers and the Ducks, um, maybe somewhere in the 85 to 90 point category by the time 82 games has passed. I'll say three quick statements about the Kings. Worried about secondary scoring. Uh, A little worried about the age up front, although very strong players of of the core. And I'll give you a a huge key for me in terms of how their season goes. Watch their power play from the standpoint of they finished time for 17th last year on the power play. Kovalchuk, that's a situation where he could really make a big difference for the team in terms of uh, their offense and turn those 3-2 losses into 3-2 wins. I mean, keep in mind, this team last year, 14-11-8 in one-goal games, they should be a lot better than that. To put that in perspective of that record, it may not sound all that terrible. The Devils last year, who were granted one of the surprise teams, the Devils last year, their record in one-goal games was 25-8-9. So if the Kings can... can, you know, improve that power play with Kovachuk and get it from, you know, a second second rung power play to somewhere in the top 10, top 12, if you will. And I think that can make uh, a big difference for them. But those are my three statements on the King. Yeah, so, and, I, right, and I agree I friend. agree with all three of them. I, that was why I picked the Knights in the first round of the playoffs last year to beat the Kings. Yeah, because, you were right. Uh, a lot of people were saying that the Kings veteran core is going to take over and this yep. and that. But if you look at that veteran core, there was only eight players left from the 2012 cup team. And there was 10 players that were either in their first year with the franchise or with the first year in the NHL that were playing and especially on defense. Um, and, and that was, I, I thought that there was too much weight being given to the Kings veteran core and not enough weight being given to the, the players on the roster that were playing night in and night out that either had been there with the club the year before or in the NHL the year before. So they had some, some talent that they thought was good enough to come up and play, and they, they did. But we're going to need to see that group uh, grow and and contribute at a more consistent level to increase that second level scoring uh to to alleviate that problem that the team did have last year. So I, I agree with everything you just said, Chris. All right, so next week we'll probably be back at our normal time, which will be a two PM Saturday Eastern time, eleven AM Vegas Pacific time. We're gonna have Scheiger back, Mark Scheid to help One us of our break favorites. down the Metro. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Break down the Metro. The week after that, we have Jamie Thomas from Winnipeg Jets TV. And the week after that, we have Dan Harrigan on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Does a lot of uh, radio shows and podcasts for the Lightning. Great writer as well as the hockey writers. And I've already started to pencil in some great guests for October. All I'll say is look for, we're going to have shows with guests on the Coyotes, uh, Devils and Bruins for sure, and I'm working on the Blues. So we got a lot of good stuff coming up, and some new guests as well. So, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Next week we talk about the Metro and uh, my Islanders. And you mentioned the guy's name before. I didn't know who that was, but uh, yeah, he he was uh, that but, dude. He know. was there. He was that one guy who did that thing. Yeah, yeah. He was. I, I he will was say that, this. Uh, when you have a guy like Matthew Barthel, 
who did what he did last year. And when you look at it, and I was just going to say, Chris, when you look at it and your rookie center is doing things that your veteran captain center has never done, and you you look at the way the league is going and and the speed factor and the skill factor, um, and you look at the player that Matthew Bartsall can still grow into, I think he is more of a prototype number one center in the league uh, with the direction the league's heading, with the rule changes, and the speed skill thing that's starting to take over. Um, and you project five, 10 years down the road when you're, you're trying to pay Tavares 10, $11 million a year at 35, 36 years old. I, and, and Lamarillo being who Lamarillo is, I, you know, we'll talk more about this when we get to the division, but I problem with the Islanders going here, take it or leave it. And, and, Saying we're gonna we're gonna ride or die with with Barcel. I really don't. Yeah, it will be like I said. We'll break it down. I like to get Schreiger's, uh point of view. And having said all that, the hockey news picked the Islanders finishing last, so they got that going <laughs> for themselves. So uh, uh, looking like I said, looking forward to next 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 week. We both feel good about the Sharks tonight, and we have a lot of questions. I think on everybody else so absolutely uh i'm excited about getting an arizona guest and we haven't had one in a while i think we're able to score a real excellent excellent big time guest uh for our, that would be our first show after the previews and i think that's a good time to talk about the coyotes because you you really did hit it on the head i think uh, uh for them they're one of the few teams with the first 25 games is critical it's very important and uh, very important Absolutely. Yeah, they they need at least be NHL 500 and be in a position where they're not you know buried and they can can move forward kind of thing. So, uh, well, I'm hey, don't don't see. sell yourself short, sir. Jamie Thomas, uh, Winnipeg's TV for the Central is 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 a fantastic guest as well. I think he's been on twice now. Oh, absolutely. And he's, a, and he's a phenomenal guy. Just just very generous with his time. And it's oh, yeah. always great to talk with Jamie Thomas at Jamie Thomas TV uh, for those who want to follow on Twitter. But uh, yeah, yeah, we've got a great lineup coming here early in the season. We're out of the gates, rocking and rolling. Chris Doris did a great job today. Make sure everyone follows him at Chris JWS and go ahead and give the Teal Town podcast a listen. Obviously fair and impartial if we got a Sharks guy picking the Golden Knights to win the division after last season. Um, so, no, a great job by you out of the gate, Chris, and, and I look forward to us having a great season, sir. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, my friend. All right. Well, that's it for us. For Chris on Mark, we'll see you next week, and we're gone.